Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. Hi, Jen. Oh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm not doing great, but I'm doing okay. Thank you for being honest with me. How many times does somebody ask us in this caregiver life, how are you doing? And we say, oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. <laughs> they say, oh, so good. I'm doing so great. This is so good to ask. Thank you. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, I remember one day, uh, a couple of years ago, we were doing that little bit of filming for the Zoll Foundation. Uh, oh, yeah. But I think it was about three years ago, was it? Yeah, about three years ago. And Nikki Stevens, one of, one of the fellows and one of our good friends, said to me, I'm just not doing good today. And we're doing this filming. Do you think I should say anything to them? And I said, sure, why not? If you're not doing good, I mean, why not tell them? And she did. And she felt so good that she said that can be relieving to be honest with the people around us. I think also as just humans, we need to be ready when we ask somebody how they're doing to get an answer that maybe isn't rosy and sunny. We can't be that way all the time. None of us. Yeah, caregiver or not, we can't be that way all the time, right? And if you are, you're probably not dialed into reality much. Um, (laughs) I struggled with that for a long time. You know, I didn't get help for years with my caregiving. Uh, You didn't either. People were constantly asking me how I was doing. So they were giving me the opportunity to say, I'm struggling. I'm failing. I'm not supported. I'm not well. And I wasn't taking advantage of it. And I guess my message, I hope the caregivers listening today will hear it. Take advantage of that. Be honest. The person on the other end might say, oh, that's too bad. I hope tomorrow is better. And that might be it. Or they might say, what can I do to help? I like that. That is so true. And I, I think back so long ago uh, when I, in those early days of caregiving, and so I'm thinking 1993, 1994, and Tom was undergoing so many IV antibiotics for encephalitis. And we really didn't know day to day how things were going to be for him. We didn't, I usually couldn't see past tomorrow or maybe even an hour from then, you know, was there was a lot of concern about him. And people always asked about Tom and I was drowning most of the time I was like, I just read something not too long ago about how drownings really can be a very silent, how people just slip under the water. And that's how I was, that's what was happening to me. I was just slipping under the water. And one day, months after we had been involved in all of this sickness and all of these doctor visits and all of these IV antibiotics and tests, somebody at one of the kids at the kids school said to me, but how are you doing? And then I cried and I cried and I cried because somebody finally recognized that I was part of this whole picture and that I might have some feelings too. And 
And I, you know, I, I can't even remember what I said because that's not really the point. The point is the memory for me is that somebody cared enough to ask me all the while knowing she couldn't fix one thing that was going wrong in our life. And it's so important for us to have that, that window of communication open, even if there's no answer, just to be able to get it out helps. I have a bit of hope on that front because, you know, I've been in the same boat, been really struggling and lots of people didn't ask how I was. Doctors didn't ask how I was. I've been a part of the National Caregiver Alliance for several years as a caregiver advisor. And some of the work that we've been doing has fed into the Raised Family, Family Caregiver Advisory Council, which is um, advising Congress about the needs of caregivers. And I'm so excited that earlier this week, uh, the report was actually delivered to Congress. And I was one of the caregivers featured in the report. There's a little video. We can post it. Oh, please and, post it. Uh, there are five pillars of, of action that that our council has come up with uh, to ask Congress to act on. And, and one of them is, is very specific to providers asking caregivers those questions. How are you doing? Do you have support? Have you had a phys an annual physical? Do you have mental health care? Um, right, I didn't realize that, that providers can't actually ask those things of the caregiver, I mean, they could personally ask them, but there's no protocol for them to have the questions, to put them anywhere, and then to generate referrals. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're asking that that be changed, first to be changed through Medicare, as Medicare goes, so does you know the rest of the healthcare system. So I'm actually really hopeful that when, that in the future, when a doctor is talking to my brother, before we finish up the appointment, they'll also look to me and, and ask me those questions. I'll look to you and ask you those questions so we can get some intervention before we reach caregiver burnout, which is the topic that we wanted to talk about today. Yeah, I think it's a really good topic because I think people are surprised when uh, caregivers have burnout. They don't understand it. Um, I, can, I can remember you know, at times in my life, like even, I mean, even like, so really good example is exercise. I can get burned out on exercise. Oh my gosh, I've had enough of my treadmill or I, I can't lift another weight or I can't do another run. This is, I just burned out on it and I can walk away. But caregiver burnout is a different kind of burnout. It's a, it's a very emotional experience. It can come out of nowhere when you least expect it. You can be a well-seasoned caregiver like we are. You and I have had various caregiving roles in our life, and they've been with us for a long time now. And we've done a lot of things to help us be good at being caregivers and be healthy for ourselves because we matter too. So it's important that we take care of ourselves, not necessarily so we could be a better caregiver, which will be better for the care recipient, but because we are human beings who need to be better. We need to be healthy. By better, I mean healthy. We need to be healthy people mentally and physically and spiritually. We need for that for our own personal lives. And sometimes you get this little crack and you see your frailty and you can have all these things in place, really good self-care, deep self-care, and still have a moment where you've been asked to do one too many things. You haven't had enough breaks in the day. 
you didn't do, for me, it would be a meditation. I didn't do a meditation the day before. And I rely on that as a place that I can go to every day to just be me, to just be in tune with my brain and my body and my breathing. And I literally 10 minutes can help me get through 24 hours. And when I miss that, and then there's other demands on me, I could fall apart. I can recover really quick than I used to. I think I could, you know, I can bounce back. I'm bounced back. I had that feeling of burnout earlier this week and I, I bounce back quickly, but I am not nice when I'm burnt out. I'm mean when I'm burnt out. I'm mean to everybody. I'm mean to, to Tom, who I care for. And he's so kind. He, he, he's so good at being able to just receive that and get where, where I'm coming from. But I can be mean to everybody. I can find ways to be mean just because I'm so burnt out. And I feel like I can't do one more thing. Not one person can ask me to do a thing because I can't even breathe. I know I'm breathing, but to me, I might as well be breathing carbon dioxide instead of oxygen. <laughs> well, you know, the thing that I do also is become angry. Maybe bitter is a better term for me to use when I'm burned out. I, I look back and think about the, the climax of my burnout. I think this is the right term, the climax of my burnout. And in that moment, I was really mean to the, the person directly in front of me um, that was helping me, that you know was literally helping me put my brother with a broken, with a shattered elbow into the car. And I was mean to them. I, I wish I could find that person and say, this had nothing to do with you. It was, it was me not, you know, having that big fissure opened up and not seeing how it could ever close. I wonder if that person ever thinks back to that day, because what a big moment for that person. How could you not remember that day? And that person's perspective is completely opposite of how you felt that you were. I just wonder, it could be, because, you know, we've helped people and, and we know, and I, I was helping a lady this week who, an ALS caregiver, and I, it wasn't enjoying helping her because I was having a hard time helping myself. Um, yeah. I also understood very much so the anxiety she had, the fears she was feeling, the new, new to the diagnosis of ALS for her veteran. I mean, I got all of that, understood all of that. And I, I, I don't know if she perceives me as being short with her, but I was short with her and I felt short with her. Mm-hmm. And I, it took me a little while to forgive myself over that. I have since learned, as you have over the years, lots of coping tactics for handling those situations where I have, I, I, oh my God, I've been hurtful. I've transferred my pain to you because I couldn't handle it anymore. There was, I could not bear any more weight. And one of the one of the tactics is to use an emotion wheel and there's lots of them out there. There are emotion wheels that have um, good feelings on the bottom and hard feelings on the top. <laughs> um, and then there are emotion wheels that are just all about those, those hard feelings. And for me, it's helped. I'll put a link on here um, in our show notes, but for me, it has helped to, to identify the feeling. Yes, there was some anger Really, it was more being exposed, right? 
feeling out of control, helplessness. But also my caregiver burnout exposes my, my sadness often of the situation, you know, how, how agonizing it is to love someone who is suffering, how agonizing it is to miss things in my own life. And it's been helpful to identify those emotions, right? Is it anger or can we dial it in a little bit deeper and identify it? Because then when you do, you're not going to solve it, but you can at least make come to terms with it by identifying it. You can define it a little bit. And then what you did is recognize, hey, I'm having burnout. That's the difference um, as we become more seasoned caregivers, as we learn those tactics, is to identify when it's happening. And we know you can't stop it. It's a bit like a panic attack, right? Yeah. I can't stop this. So what am I going to do? I'm going to feel it, but I'm also going to turn to others. I'm going to re rely on my support and I'm going to let, let it happen, but not let it control me. Is it allowing yourself to become vulnerable enough or to allow your, not to become vulnerable enough, but to allow that vulnerability to be revealed. So if we, if we allow ourselves to reveal it and you ask for people to help you that you trust, who are your support system. So not just somebody who doesn't really get it and they tell you all the things like, don't worry about it because that's not how you're feeling. You're feeling kind of overwhelmed with pretty much every aspect of your life. That's what the burnout feels like as a caregiver, like everything. Like, don't ask me to do one more thing. God damn it, mm -hmm. don't ask me to do one more thing. That's how you feel. You feel like you can't breathe well. And so if you have sort of your tribe that can give you some oxygen mm -hmm. to get through it and some strategies without judging what's happening to you, then I think you've done a good thing for yourself. It's a way to quicken or to, to get to the resolution of the burnout more quickly so you can move on. You and I both have periods, have had periods in our life where burnout has lasted a long time and it's very painful. You, you have spoken about your own suicidal ideation. Um, I had some of that in the 1990s. I was just thin, didn't even think I could do I could even get up in the morning anymore. What was this whole thing I was looking at? And it is a very unsafe place to feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you wonder, how did I even get here? And then you do a lot of that reflection, which is not necessarily um, a positive reflection, or it's not a helpful. So it doesn't have to be positive, but it's not really helpful because you stay in this, this rut of thinking about the, all the bad things and you can't move past that to get to the next thing to get to making lunch, to walking outside and feeling the sun on your face. You can't even begin to think about having an experience that would imply some gratitude for yourself. Oh, aren't I, don't, don't I feel good that I can at least, the sun feels so warm. You know, there's a you lot of You can't step into that routine that you know will, will help you. Mm -hmm. You're a little bit paralyzed. Mm -hmm. right, so I highly recommend uh, people who are caregivers, and I think just people in general, though I, I would imagine most of our listeners are caregivers. That's why they're drawn to this caregiver life as a, as a podcast, 
is to find at least one person in your life who can let you be you. No, there's probably not a solution to your life problems. We most we can't fix Jamie's TBI. We can't fix Tom's ALS. They're never going to be fixed, but we can learn better how to handle things. And if you have somebody in your life who's not trying to fix those things, but just understanding of them, where it's come, maybe it's an overused phrase, I see you, but sometimes really that's what you need to hear. I see you. It's okay. You're going to be okay. I'll be, I'll be here with you. I'm always yeah. here for you and I will help you breathe. And sometimes just having that safe spot is the most important thing you can have to get you to the next step. To get you it's, the, it's the thing I tell every audience I speak to. If you've heard me speak, you know, um, towards, towards the end, we do an exercise together and we send messages to people in our life that we care about. We, we assume they all know, well, they all know I'm here you have to open that window. And so I have my audiences send a message and all it says is I'm here for you 24 seven, no matter what. And that person may never use you, but they might, they might say, is it okay if I vent? Is it okay if I just tell you how horrible today was? And venting is healthy. You can't keep doing it over and over and over and over again and get results. But when you recognize that when that boiling point has been reached, you must vent is, mm -hmm. is a big step. And I think um, we've talked about journaling in the past. So for me, writing little notes to myself when I'm coming out of the burnout helps. Mm -hmm. So writing a little note that just says, send Mary a card to thank her for being my friend because, you know, I've leaned on you during that time or um make an appointment to get acupuncture because I recognize like this will help me get to that next step where I can get out of bed. I can go outside. Um, so making little notes like that for yourself is actually making your, your own care plan. All of our listeners who are caregivers know we, a good caregiver and their team has a care plan for their care recipient, but you probably don't have a care plan for yourself. What, isn't it a great idea to have one so that you have the burnout, you have the burnout care plan, and you have almost a step by step of what to do when you're when you're coming out of it. But also, go ahead. I was just going to say, also just feel it, just let yourself feel it a little bit and, and recognize it. Yeah, definitely, definitely feel it, and it's okay to cry too. There's nothing wrong with crying. Crying is there's a way to get some of that emotion out. And I, I will say about the care plan, because I love, I love thinking about it in that way. I had not thought about it in that way, um, but I do have really quite, quite a good care plan for myself these days. And that's probably was like a rescue drug for me because I was able to go back to my, I realized, oh, you kind of, you kind of didn't go stay on plan like kind of being on a diet and going off a little bit. I, I kind of missed a step with that. And I know better and I have my plan. So I'll go back to it. And when I went back to my plan within 12 hours back to my plan, you know, it was like, it was like a 12 hour process. I had this burned out feeling and then I, I couldn't figure things out and I was kind of lost at sea there. And, and then I realized, oh no, no, no. So go back to your plan. And then, and then not only did I do better but I learned a lot. You know, I'm, I'm really big on reflecting and, 
And I thought, oh, so there you go. So you, you must make time for your care plan because if you don't, you can't be, you can't be the better you, the kinder, more caring you. Put it in your binder. If you need to put it in, make your care plan, use your support system to help you build it. You're like, I am going to make this care plan for myself, but I don't know what to put on it. Ask your support staff, ask a, put a, put a post on this caregiver for life Facebook page. We'll help you get some ideas. Um, and then put it in your binder. So it's there. So you, you go to your binder when you have deviated from your care plan or you need to look at it for your care recipient, right? So keep yours in there too. And that's what we do, you know, um, when our care recipient is struggling, we will assess the care plan and what's gone awry. I know for us, it's when we've had too much activity, mm -hmm. right? Or medication hasn't been given at the right time. We haven't had enough ratio of, you know, carbs and protein and we need to, so we need to adjust the diet and um, our personal health is really much the same way. Our caregiver health is the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it is. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, this is a lot of responsibility because I'm already taking care of somebody. You yeah. are right. It is. <laughs> yes, we get it. it. <laughs> but but we I are, think we're worth the investment. Yeah. And I think that um, not only that, you will model this to the other people in your life who aren't your care recipient, who aren't caregivers themselves. Maybe it's your children. Um, maybe it's extended family members, but if they, if you're honest with the people around you about what your feelings are and about how you're addressing those, um, ultimately you will help other people by um, exposing those vulnerabilities, by revealing those vulnerabilities, um, which is why we do this podcast because it helps us to help other people mm -hmm. and to share this, like, I have had this, I've had this time <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to get out of it and it's okay. It's okay to feel that way. I've seen a lot of posts lately. It's okay to not be okay. Oh, I, I, okay. I agree with that, but it's, but then you have to get back to the, to the good. You have to get yourself out of that. Let yourself feel it and use your plan to get out of it. Yeah. 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 Use your plan. That's your plan is, you know, the rescue, rescue drug for yourself. That's your plan. You have to go back to that because it's so much better to be okay than not okay. It's okay <laughs> yeah. to not be okay sometimes, but to not be okay all of the time is indicative of some, some, some probably other issues that you, you should address and resolve or begin to resolve, like do what you need to do for them. Seek some counseling, seek a, see a, do some therapy, learn some mindfulness um, techniques for yourself, embrace some exercise, whatever works for you. We're all so very different in what we need to begin to build that care plan. And gosh, I really wish I knew this so many years ago. I got so sick as a caregiver of like physically sick and yeah, me too. had no idea that I was getting sick and why I was having these physical problems, the exhaustion that I had. And I, I had a thyroid that was basically not functioning for probably a few years. And I went through periods of having had certain needed surgery for other things that I wasn't taking care of, wasn't taking care of my female health. And so I, I ended up with so many issues and problems. And, and part of it is because I, I felt like I couldn't find the time to take care of myself. And I'm certain I was wrong about that. I'm 100% yeah. certain on reflection that I couldn't find time. And I say that now because 
as an ALS caregiver, my days are really task filled. And I find time now because it's really important to me because I've already, I've already been there where I didn't feel good for a few years. And that can affect your mental health as well and your spiritual health. And so you can find the time if it's important for you to find the time and you should make yourself important. You are every bit as important as the person you take care of, 100%. I'm writing that down in quotes. You are every bit as important as the person you take care of. Yep. So, and you know, it is true. We can't fix a lot of our stuff, but we don't, once we accept that, we can find other ways to have joy in life, right? Because there's a lot of things that can't be fixed. You know, it's not just us. It's not just this particular lane that we're in, this caregiver lane. It's a lot of things in life that we can't fix. We can't fix what's for the people we care for, what's happened to them. A lot of times we can't fix that. We can't fix Alzheimer's. We can't fix dementias or TBIs. We, we can't fix um, if you can't get into college or you're struggling passing a test. You, you may be able to fix something like that, but maybe not. Maybe college isn't for you. Maybe you need to go to a trade school or find some other endeavor in your life. We can't fix everything in life. So it's not just special to caregivers. There is a point, and I just read this. You posted this on one of our, one of our friends' um, Facebook page where your grandma said, when it becomes so hard to do something, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean you give up because something's hard but it's just when you've tried so much and the thing that you're working on still isn't changing, it's like trying to get through a cement wall that it's okay to walk away from that. So it's, it's okay to walk away from that, but not to just fall into oblivion, find something else, right? Yeah. So if you're saying to yourself, it's okay to not be okay right now, please don't stay there. There's so much more to life than that. If it's really hard, to do the thing, the thing that you're trying to do. And no matter which angle you come at it from, it's still hard. It gets getting harder, more obstacles. You're feeling worse about it. It might be a sign that you should be doing something different. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, not that you should be doing nothing, that you should be doing something different. And I love my grandma's quotes for that very reason. Reflecting on her today is um, a couple of times just because of her wisdom and, and how close we got when I was caregiving for her. I made a note, Mayor. We have over 50 years of collective caregiving experience. Holy cow. That's a lot. It's crazy to think about that. I know. I can't remember what life was like before I was a caregiver. Mm-hmm. It's been so long. I was 33 years old. Yeah. I definitely was freer. I was thinking about because I'm expecting and I was thinking about the last time I was expecting. Um, it was just a short time after I had my first son that I became a caregiver. And I was just thinking about what I did with my time during those months. You know, I piddled around thrift stores, finding things for my baby and it, played video games in the evening and with my feet up in the recliner. Like I just had a lot more of me time. And um, well, I certainly... There are times when I'm envious of that, Jen. Um, she she wasn't the person I am now, so I I don't I wouldn't want to go back to that. I wouldn't feel I would feel wobbly if I didn't have the things going on that I do: the podcast, the caregiving, you know, having baby. Mm-hmm. Having a great I feel partner in your life. Yeah. yeah. 
Those things are all so important and it brings us to where we are today. And I, I know, I think if I was a listener right now, I'd say to myself, Mary hasn't even asked Jen how she is, which is true, I haven't, so how are you? <laughs> well, um, I'm in my seventh month now for our listeners and I am tired and struggling with pain. It's uh, painful to have a baby in your late forties and much more so than when I was in my twenties. So I've been struggling a bit with that. I did share with my partner how I was feeling. Um, pain can make you depressed and I have a history of that. So I just needed to verbalize that to him. He was a really soft place to land. Um, my, my care recipient has been super amazing and checking on me, which is a bit uncharacteristic, um, but good. And he's so sweet. Like, um, when I, when I need a pillow or if I, he'll ask me if he can get me something to drink while he's up, that kind of thing. And, um, it's nice to see him modeling some caregiver traits, even though his own health is struggling, which I think is probably compounding my situation. He's having some complications from a surgery a couple of years ago. And it's, um, it's always a quagmire, you know, to figure out after you've had 20 surgeries to figure out that the 21st and is that going to solve it what's the 22nd surgery going to be like um also and we 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 had this in our notes and I don't want to go long today but you know I have this I struggle with distrust sometimes distrust of the system the medical system distrust of um agencies that are meant to help us but actually cause more work I pause there. I want to be kind because I recognize there are really good people that work at places like the VA and um, Social Security and, you know, all those places. But the systems themselves are not always friendly to work with. And um, trusting others to care for my brother has, thank goodness that we set up a system where I have people in place that I trust, including the Wind Aware Project Independence Program team, and uh, home health aides, uh, comfort keepers that we use, and local people, friends <laughs> that I've that I have been honest with and asked for and accepted help from, because I couldn't do that. I could not do the caregiving right now, 100% of the time, like I once did. Um, but I had months and months of distrust, where even when I had people lined up, home health care, to take care of my brother. I was still there. I was still present while they were there because <laughs> I didn't trust them to do it on their own. Um, and it took me a long time to build up that trust, I guess. It creeps back in from time to time when like we're having a medical issue. And I made some doctor's appointments for my brother and they were supposed to happen in September. I made them in July. <laughs> and then they called, you know, a couple of days before the appointment and they've pushed them to December because of COVID. And I... I started feeling that, feeling those, you know, feelings of distrust. Mm -hmm. I it makes me feel, you know, suspicious. Are they going to keep the December appointment? Is it they're going to push it off to February? And I also started feeling, I guess that's skepticism. And then I be, started becoming, you know, critical. Maybe we shouldn't even use this doctor. Maybe I should find a new doctor, right? Like I was going through all those feelings. How do how do you handle that 
trust issues as a caregiver because we get so used to doing it all on our own. It can be hard to trust other people. Well, I think that can lead to my burnout because I'm not very good at trusting. Um, I, I had an opportunity not too long ago to, through the Dole Foundation's program, respite program, to have somebody come in and do some meals and do some light housework. And um, I didn't have any trust that the, this person would be able to do the meals the way we have a complicated diet requirements between the two of us. And I, though I could have used the relief, but I didn't have any trust. So I, I ended up turning down the program. I know I can almost hear people saying like, what are you crazy? And it is true. I probably am a little bit on the crazy, you know? So I, I, I was not good at that. And I do tend to feel like nobody can take care of Tom the way I can take care of him. So that's an issue for me as well. And so I'm, I'm not good at it, but I've told myself this when my care plan, which is not the term I use. This is, I'm using this new because now I'm thinking of this as my care plan. But when my, my, the way I take care of myself is I exercise in the morning, almost every morning. And I devote at least an hour and a half to it. And um, when that, because I can, and I, I, our whole rest of the morning routine works around that. But when Tom needs more care, uh, that would require me to not be able to do that. That is when I'll have, I'll have more help with him because I'm not going to let my care plan suffer. I feel very strongly about that. Will I be able to do that when the time comes? I believe I will. I have a lot of, I have a high level of confidence in myself because I really like that I've gotten myself to as healthy as I am. You know, I had problems with some cholesterol lowering drugs and I've worked really hard on losing weight and exercising and eating the right foods. And my cholesterol is about the same as it was when I was on the cholesterol lower the statins, but it's ah. vigilance, right? So if I give that up, then what happens to my cholesterol? And I'm, that's enough of a fear for me. So maybe, maybe my distrust will be better resolved if it's going to impact what keeps me healthy. I don't know if that's a good or a safe place to be, but that's my honest answer about it. I'm not great at that. I also don't trust when things are good for too long, just life in general. I feel like, and one of the things about living with ALS as long as Tom has since 2010, so 11 years, is there's a very much a sense of waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're always, you're waiting for the moment. You're waiting for the big gigantic fall or a big gigantic fall off in his abilities. And so there's always a sense of distrust in good moments. Mm. And then you don't really enjoy them. No, you don't. It's hard to enjoy them. That is very true. Well, I'm glad we talked about it. It's a subject that we we hit on from time to time in our personal conversation. Sometimes I don't trust other people to understand mm -hmm. and that can keep me from asking for help. Um, and I don't trust that people will, won't judge me um, <laughs> and that my life decisions. And so um, for me, I have to really just focus on 
my myself and my own health and remember that we're all human and I there are just as many trustworthy people out there as there are untrustworthy people and um what I distrust the most are the is the process not necessarily the people um I think we should explore this in the future maybe have a guest that can talk to us about caregiver trust or caregiver distrust if you will um because you know, so many of us have to experience it, whether it's with, you know, not not trusting the good feelings or um, not trusting people coming into our home, not because we think they're going to steal, although I have had a caregiver that stole from us. Yeah. Um, and it, so we put into place uh, some strategies that will that keep people from being being able to steal, at least if they do, we'll know. And um unfortunately we had to go to trial and testify and it was really horrible um and she was convicted of four felonies i'm glad i'm glad to say that but um that probably that happened right about the time i was starting to let people come in and help and so it set back my ability to have respite care and i do want to put a link in our show notes if you are caring for a veteran um respite relief from Elizabeth Dole Foundation is there and they have professionals that'll help talk you through those distrust issues for sure um and we also recognize that everybody isn't ready to have that kind of help no that's true not everybody is ready and um and sometimes you know it seems like so I sometimes don't have trust in sharing people with sharing with people more of the the more challenging times of those caregiver life for me here, you know, with ALS. And yeah, I'm afraid to say too much sometimes because people want to help in ways that are not helpful. They create more work for me and they don't understand. And it's not, sometimes you get a, I get a tragic reaction like, oh my God, that's so hard. And I think, well, now I don't trust you. I'm not telling you this anymore because I don't need that reaction from you. I'm just telling you I can't meet you for lunch because I can't leave them unattended. That's mm-hmm. all I'm telling you. I'm not, when you react that way, then that becomes a burden for me. You compounded how I already feel. <laughs> yeah. And I've also had, now that we opened the big Pandora box of distrust, <laughs> I also can distrust equipment that we have because we've had problems with it. We've had, like, could you imagine a Hoyer lift or this ceiling lift not working when your care recipient is hanging from the ceiling and like this little tiny chair thing? Well, it's not really, but you know, it wraps his body. But I've had failed equipment. We've had, we were in the doctor's office the other day and the wheelchair the power wheelchair that weighs 300 pounds wouldn't boot up. (laughs) I was thinking, for the love of God, how am I going to get him out of here? Like, he's also like, he's not light and you're pushing him and you're pushing this wheelchair. And I was like, I was breaking out in a sweat. I almost couldn't hear what the doctor was saying to us anymore because I could see him fussing with it and I wasn't seeing the light go on. And I mean, we've had the wheelchair accessible van where the ramp has come out like in a parking garage, uh, like a parking garage and not go in no uh, matter what we do. And man, you sweat bullets with that. You know, you pray to, you know, everybody to God, to 
Jesus to Mary, you pray to everybody that <laughs> somehow you look for 800 numbers. Who am I going to call? What are we going to do? We're in a parking garage. And I mean, it's <laughs> like a level of insanity that happens. So, so I can have distrust issues. Like Tom even has a really nice travel wheelchair and we haven't traveled since the pandemic, you know? And I, I don't think it's in the cards for us to be able to do that, but we have talked about it, but, but, but the times when we've used the travel wheelchair, there have been times when it broke. Do you remember me telling you that? I think I, I think I wrote a post about it. I don't think I put it on my blog, but we were traveling from here, from where we live and we were getting, going in the, on the ramp into the, um, into the airplane and the oh. travel wheelchair broke. So it had like no brakes on it. We had Maddie with us then, the service dog. I had the big breathing equipment strapped over me and the wheelchair starts like going downhill to get into the plane and I'm holding on to it. So I definitely have equipment distrust. <laughs> I have a lot of distrust about travel as well. Um, Ooh, just little things like um, every airport handles folks with disabilities and security differently. And you can call TSA and you can make all the arrangements and then you can still get to an airport and have them say, oh, well, no one called in. You didn't call and tell us that you were traveling today and that you needed special accommodations because your loved one has is full of metal and has mobility issues and hearing aids and cognitive impairment and you didn't call me of course I did and here's the confirmation number and like I don't trust that I don't trust the whole thing yeah but and everybody has an, a bad airline story in the caregiving world <laughs> um we should we could do a whole episode about that and I would I would private message to every um social media account of every airline in this country so that they and recommend they listen to it because um there's so much distrust built <laughs> when you have when you experience something like that um and also i i think i carry the distrust from one aspect of caregiving to another to my personal life it's a hard thing to let go um i i think as caregivers we feel we, we have, we feel that down. We feel that down that our loved one is not healthy. Um, we feel that down that, that, that we get this equipment that, you know, my brother has a CPAP machine that doesn't work. It's recalled. I can't get a new one. No one has answers. And millions of people are listening to this and they have the same CPAP machine. Um, and I, I, so I, that is breeding distrust about this, these doctor's appointments that got rescheduled and breeding you know, I have to be careful as those feelings build, not to let them keep building up inside of me. So they don't keep cycling through your brain. Like that's really what happens to me. They cycle through. And I, I really think the whole root of it for, as I'm listening to both of us talk about this, is that it's because the bottom line is we love our people we care for so very much. And we know that they need somebody to help them. And we, we are so protective of them. It's the, it's the kind of love that we have for those people in our lives. Like, just like when you have a child and you love that child so much, you wanna protect them. And so we feel that way about our care recipients because there's a vulnerability to them that you know they must be protected from, from these outside 
endeavors and forces, people, institutions, equipment. Um, and so that's what, that's what the marks of such a great caregiver is when you, I think when you feel all those things, what we do to discharge those feelings probably can be packaged into our own personal care plan as caregivers. That's probably what we can do to maybe we don't release all the distrust. Maybe the distrust is somewhat healthy for us because if we don't have it, then we're not planning for the problems. Like, like I've learned that with the, the uh, van, the handicap accessible van, you can, you can push that in manually. You have to turn something off. Not, I'm not saying I remember how to do that right now, but <laughs> I'm saying that I know it's a possibility. <laughs> and so, you know, I've been able to think through some problems. So things that I distrust, I, I don't like that they can still happen, but I think that there are solutions along the way. And when it comes to distrusting issues like with doctor appointments, that's a tough one. I think I don't think there's a great solution for that, except for, for you to rely on your care plan to keep you at a more even level emotionally so it doesn't eat at you. Because I'm sure, I'm going to project right on you here with this, but it would, would, it would bother me because my care recipient wasn't getting the care they needed. It has nothing to do with my own personal life. And, and you have a lot happening. You're seven months pregnant. You have, your baby's going to be born in the beginning of December. Um, at the latest, your baby's going to be born in the <laughs> early December. And so you, so you have a lot on your own, in your own personal life, for your own personal health and the health of your baby. And these doctor's appointments are really important for your brother. And to have them pushed off creates more problems for you. So yeah, that, you have to go to your care plan because it doesn't seem like we can fix that. I'll tell you what I did. To, you know, because we are, we are people who solve problems. Mm -hmm. I had tried to set up all these appointments so I could get them in before my travel ends, right? Before I am kind of on bed rest. And uh, so what I did was I talked to another one of his providers who is not a specialist in this, in this field, um, but who does know my brother very well. And I mean, he's in his fifties, he's very well educated. He, and, uh, and he set an appointment for my brother for next week <laughs> and he's going to do his best to run some diagnostics and talk to some of his colleagues and see what we can do in the interim and I and so that was my workaround and I have to tell you I trusted my gut to contact this doctor that I trust that who have built a relationship with and it paid off mm -hmm. there you go so that's a that's great <laughs> Right, that's that was a really our good solution for you. It is a good win, but if you if you didn't have that sense of distrust, maybe you wouldn't have come to that solution either. I think it's okay to distrust some to some to some degree. I mean, I guess I wouldn't take it to like you know, like I knew a caregiver. I didn't really know her that well, but she was somebody I was in a. I was she was she was a mentee. I was in the VA mentoring program. I was the mentor, and she her her person never wanted her to ever leave the bedroom that he was confined to because of his paralysis. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you never want to be in that place. You never want to be paralyzed with your distrust that you can never do anything. So her life, her life too became paralyzed. So you don't want to do that. So, but I do think that the, the, um, and I'm not even sure that example made any sense here, but it seemed like a good one at the time. <laughs> 
I think, I think just the whole idea of like, you being, you could become paralyzed with your distrust is, um, is not a good, it's not healthy for us. So you're able to find um, a solution. I am making a trust, a healthy trust decision in the advance of my baby, my baby's birth. Um, someone recommended to me that I get a monitor for his little foot when he's sleeping that will alert me if his oxygen falls or if his heart rate falls or you know, if he moves, all these things. And um, I can't, I cannot, unless it's recommended because he's born with some kind of a disability or need, um, I cannot add more vital sign monitoring <laughs> to my life. I will never sleep if my baby wore that thing. And, and it's probably great for some parents. I will definitely get up and put my finger under his nose or put my ear down really close to him. Um, when he's sleeping a long time and I'm like, oh, is he okay? You know, I have that parent urge, but um, I can't do it. And I'm making a conscious decision not to do that because I I have, there are times when I've had to be such a vigilant caregiver and I, I can't do it right now. That's good that you know that about yourself. You know, you're trusting your instincts. I think maybe, maybe, maybe our sense of distrust that we have on so many levels for so many different things um, leads us to trust ourselves better. And that's probably a more confident place to be, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I went through that with Tom with his recent doctor appointment and surgery that we're looking at for him. And, and I trusted, I trust that I know what is the thing that he really needs to have. And I vocalized that. And, and he's was a little unsure because it's a bit of a confusing process but I know him well enough and I trust myself to know that I'm doing the best thing for him. And so we all agreed and the surgeon understands it. And um, I wasn't always that way, right? So I think I, I trust my distrust. Yeah, I'm not sure 100%. Maybe somebody well, listening to this, some professional and trust issues <laughs> like to chime in and tell us either how how great we are or how terrible our <laughs> summation is of all of this. And you're you welcome to come on the show as a guest. We're happy to have you either dispute this with us or, or congratulate us on coming this far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I might put a call out on our LinkedIn and see if, uh, if we can find a professional on trust issues. I feel like we're going in a good direction. Uh, 50 years of experience tells me we are, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe we're not, maybe we're maybe not. not. Well, we put in a really good long episode. I'm glad that we did. Um, we're all excited to meet Will when, maybe Will when he's born. And um, we know you're going to continue to do well in your pregnancy. It's, it's, we know you don't feel good. If you can take baths, take them. I love good baths. If they're still recommended for pregnant ladies, you know. That's what my doctor told me the other day. And she also, um, she gave me a couple other coping tactics. So I'm going to, I'm going to do those. And, you know, I am cutting back, but the wonderful thing about the podcast is I can do it right here, even if I have my feet up. That's so right. we have some book reviews coming up for our listeners. Um, we're going to revisit, revisit is resilience or I, <laughs> it is resilience, uh -huh. which um, Dr. Naomi Baum uh, co-wrote and we talked a little bit about we hope to have her back on in the future um i'm also posting a book review of um tina turner's book that she wrote 
in the beginning days of COVID, Happiness Becomes You, which has a lot, um, there's a lot of context content about meditation in that book. And I'm excited to share that book review. And then the third book review that we're working on is um, on a book called Share the Care, um, which somebody sent to me, a listener sent it to me. Um, and it's more than a book. It's a, it's a whole system, it's a whole package. And it, it kind of addresses um, how you can organize others to help you care for um, someone with an illness who's wounded um, or someone who's injured. And I'm excited to review that book um, that kind of visits that trust issue. <laughs> um, so we'll have those, those posted in the next few weeks. That's one of the things I'm gonna do while I'm on um, maternity leave. <laughs> oh, good. I'm excited for you. That's good. Well, I'm, I'm looking for a bit, probably a busy end of October, but um, hopefully, fingers crossed, the next few weeks will be simply wonderful. We ran out this morning, really spontaneously. I went out and did some photos this morning, which is Ooh. the heart of my self-care and some lyrical essay writing with, with the photos. So I'm hoping to do some of that before we're kind of locked down again for a little bit with recovery stuff. Hey, speaking of um, your photography, I want everybody to watch our social media pages because we have a big announcement coming in uh, early October. And I, so this is a teaser, we can't reveal what it is, but we'll just say, um, mayors go in places. Yeah, cool. It was really, it's really fun. And it's, it's um, self-care, it's therapy. It's, if I had to choose one thing in the whole world that I just didn't want to live without doing, it would be photography. I love it. Well, listen, I want all our listeners to um, do us a favor. If you're um, listening to us on Apple or Spotify or you know any of the platforms that allow you to rate podcasts, could you please give us five stars? That helps other caregivers find us, other people who care about caregivers find our podcast and um, really dial into this caregiver life. And we, of course, expect you to visit us on your favorite social media platforms where you can find us. And you can also find, um, that's where you'll get to see pictures of our caregiving life, marriage photography. We try to post some things that are inspirational, but we always keep it real. So don't, uh, I'm not even going to give you a trigger warning because I read the other day that trigger alerts do not decrease stress. So we don't even do that. We just post right out there. We just post our junk right out there for everybody. I'm having a bad day and that's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm having a great day and you won't believe this. I'm going to also put a post up about something uh, my brother recently did. My care recipient had a big win. Yeah. Tease that a little bit. Um, he's uh, come a long way in 16 years and I'm going to share, uh, share that win on our social media. So visit us there. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, or you have an idea for a show topic, please email us thiscaregiverlife at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And for all social media platforms, just look, just just put in this caregiver life and you'll find us. And you can use the hashtag this caregiver life if you um, want to tag us in something or you want to find some of our posts. We're using that hashtag um, all over the place. So use it, search us, and uh, and interact with us online. Yeah, cool. That's great. All right, Jen, till next time. Till next time.